Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel is, I guess, the ninth book in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And right before you get to 1 and 2 Kings after Judges. And we are continuing our series through this book of First uh, First uh, Samuel and almost well, as of uh, you know, today, when we finish up, we'll be about halfway uh, through it as we've been walking through it this semester. So we can take encouragement from that, the way the Lord's uh, blessed us through his word. We've been focusing on uh, several themes. Uh, why we need a true king is one of the themes we've looked at in First Samuel. Uh, how ultimately all the things in First Samuel point forward to Christ as our true king. And then as we've wandered through it as well, we're also learning from the, the people of God there, both the kings and the people, uh, good and bad examples, things, lessons we can learn about how we should walk with Christ as our king. And we've uh, done a good job, I think, in the last uh, three or four weeks, particularly fo- focusing on the first two of those things, how we, you know, how we need a true king in Christ. And how these things point forward to who Christ is. Today we're going to camp out a little bit more on some lessons to be learned from the folks in these verses, both good and bad, about how we should seek to walk with Christ as our king. It's interesting. Again, the Lord's, uh, you know, Lord's just gracious in his plans and his purposes. I laid out this uh, sermon series, obviously, months ago. We've, we've had this mapped out walking through first Samuel. But it is it's fascinating to me how the Lord does this often, where the, the themes and the messages in these uh, verses relate very poignantly, very directly to the step of faith, to the idea of faith that we've been taking recently and forward by faith, and really to the step of faith we've all taken to be a part of a new, relatively new church like this. So I think you'll see that uh, pretty clearly as we walk through. We're not going to read all of the verses in either chapter 13 or uh, 14, but we will start at verse 5. And let me just give you a lead in. Now, Saul has become king. He's the first king of Israel. One of his main tasks is to defeat the bad guys, the Philistines. He's gone ahead and pursued an initial mission against the Philistines, which it tells us about in the first couple of verses here in chapter 13. And, and, and that's, that, that didn't go badly, but effectively he, he stirred the hornet's nest. So the Philistines are riled up a bit, and you'll see how this brings to light the pressure of this situation. This context brings to light some, some things uh, where faith is lacking and some things where faith is demonstrated powerfully. So read along with me as I read aloud, starting in verse 5 of 1 Samuel 13. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and holes and rocks and tombs and even in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, 
what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord, your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Jump with me now over to chapter 14, starting in verse 6. Saul's son, Jonathan, in the midst of these troops gathering around and the lines being drawn militarily, uh, goes on what we might call a covert action with just him and his armor bearer and shows remarkable faith. Starting in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison, garrison of these uncircumcised, talking about the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I'm with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men. We will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we'll stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. The Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves. And the man of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer killed them after him. And the first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within as it were, a half furrow's length in an acre of land, and there was a panic in the camp, that is the camp of the Philistines, in the field and among all, among all the people, the garrison, and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we uh, thank you for your word and the evident ways that it invites us and even challenges us to take steps of faith, trusting in you as a good, sovereign God. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would not be resting on our laurels as a church body, but that we might see in looking back and looking recently at this forward by faith that you are propelling us forward, perhaps to even greater uh, opportunities to grow in faith and to see you move. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in his uh, book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, John Ortberg writes about the challenge that we face in trusting God to pilot our lives and to step out in faith in action. 
He highlights it particularly by mentioning an incident where he and his wife decided to go up in a hot air balloon to celebrate his birthday one year. They uh, stepped into the passenger basket of the balloon and noticed immediately that instead of the basket coming up to about waist high and providing a lot of security, it was actually only about this high. Immediately, they felt a little insecure, even as they were just 10 or 20 feet off the ground. As they ascended higher and higher, they could see tremendous sights around and behold things that they couldn't see otherwise. But Ortberg himself was getting concerned. And as he looked over at his wife, he realized she was completely petrified. Well, Ortberg thought he would uh, alleviate this by talking to the young man that was there pilot and hearing about his skill and his trade. So he asked the the young man piloting to to, to tell them a little bit about himself. Ortberg says that when the young man began the sentence with the word dude, he became pretty concerned right off the bat. The pilot began to uh, share about how, in fact, the reason he was working as a hot air balloon pilot was that he had been driving his vehicle, had had a bit too much to drink, and had crashed the vehicle. His brother was in the passenger seat and had had some significant injuries, and his brother was still recovering, but his brother liked to watch hot air balloons. So as a brother, he decided he would become a hot air balloon pilot. Ortberg was about to slap his hand over the young man's mouth before he said any more that would terrify his wife any more about this journey. When the young man also mentioned, by the way, I've never really had the opportunity to pilot this particular balloon before. Well, Hortberg's story brings to light for us that really central issue of faith for you and me today, doesn't it? Do we trust the pilot? Is the pilot reliable? And can we base our lives on that and take steps of faith knowing that the pilot is? If you want to follow along a bit as we walk through these verses and how they relate to this theme, you can turn in the back of your worship guide. There's a section where it it has some space for sermon notes and it begins with this main idea. Another way of stating what I just mentioned, that when we trust God's sovereign working, we can act in confident faith. When we trust God's sovereign working, we can act in confident faith. You know, it's interesting The scriptures speak all over the place about who God is and his reliable character, how we can trust him, how he's a a, a good uh, shepherd, how he's a rock, he's a refuge, he's a shield, he's a father to us. He's steadfast, all of these things. But it's interesting, we we could go to all kinds of passages. We only have a a limited time this morning. Uh, If you want to turn over with me to Psalm 9. These seem to be particularly pertinent verses because these are written by David just a a, a few years after the events that we're reading about in 1 Samuel take place. And David says, we'll just highlight a couple of these. And in Psalm 9, it says verses 9 and 10 about the Lord. It says, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you for you, O Lord have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 33, 
Psalm 33, again, David uh, tells us, starting in verse 4. says, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 145, one more for us to contemplate all the way there, getting those fingers to work all the way there. Whether you're scrolling or flipping, there we go. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Of course, we don't just know this from the Old Testament and the Psalms of David. We know this uh, up to its fulfillment. We just celebrated a few weeks ago Easter and the work that Christ does, the fulfillment, the lengths to which God would go to be faithful to us, to fulfill the covenant, to fulfill the law, to be offered as this righteous one for you and for me. We know that God is faithful. He's steadfast. And yet we have such a hard time keeping that at the forefront of our mind and at the center of our heart. Don't we? Don't we? And if we did it, it really would for all of us, you know, start with me right up here. It would really impact our lives in some powerful ways. So let's let's take a look at this. Let's let's look at this in contrast, uh, going back to our first Samuel passage. So you can flip back there with me in chapter 13 by looking first at Saul and the people. Okay, sort of a negative perspective on this. And then we're going to look at the positive perspective in Jonathan. You know, it starts off right away in in verse six, and we sort of can't blame them. This is chapter 13 of first of Samuel that the people are hiding themselves. They're cowering in in fear. They're even jumping into these cisterns like big, huge containers that they would sort of hold water in. Uh, they're jumping into tombs They're running across the river. It's a scene of fear and dismay. And how that impacts us tremendously. It's interesting. I've been had the opportunity to teach this uh, one class this semester over at uh, Sanford early on Tuesday and, and Thursday mornings, which is sort of a global history class. But we were talking about the 20th century recently there and looking at how fear drove so many actions that people take. You can look at uh, Hitler's Germany. You can look at uh, Stalin and the USSR and how fear drove people and, and, and how those choices are made just sort of societal based on fear. And you remember what uh, FDR said, regardless of maybe how you feel about FDR's uh, policies or whatnot, but that famous saying that we hear all the time. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's interesting to look how that impacts and shapes our lives and our society, what we do with fear. But, of course, it, it shapes us individually, too, doesn't it? Whether it's the, the things that go bump in the night or the uh, situations at work or with our financial security or concern for our health or concern for our kids or maybe concern about ISIS or maybe you watch the news about Nepal and concern for an earthquake or whatever it is. I mean, there's a seemingly endless list of things we could come up to be fearful about, aren't there? So what do we do with that fear is the question. Well, we can be helped by the fact that we're not alone in that. The people of God were fearful at points. We see that here. We, we see, though, uh, perhaps more sadly than the people sort of scattering and not being able to trust God, we see their leader, Saul, continuing to struggle to put his confidence in God. 
You remember uh, those who were with us a couple of weeks ago when Saul was being sort of nominated, recognized as this first king. And he'd been promised by Samuel that this was going to happen. This spokesman of God told him this was going to happen. You remember where he was when he was sort of picked by lots? He was hiding. He was over in the corner underneath the baggage when they want to recognize him as the king. And we see here again that he's struggling with confidence. And we we mentioned that week. I'll just make the point again, though, for us that, you know, we can run into people that are sort of overconfident and they're sort of brash and talk a lot about themselves and their accomplishments and so forth. And we recognize there's a person that's built their whole confidence around themselves. Right. And maybe they've had some success at it and they're running with it. Well, we, we, we notice that that's kind of repellent to us right off the bat. But what's probably far more common for a lot of us, myself included, is that we're, we're, we're prideful, but it's the other side of the coin. We're prideful in the sense that we still think it's all about us and about our abilities, and we're not trusting in God, but we, we don't step out. We, we uh, huddle up. We, we roll up on the floor because we're, we're afraid to step out because ultimately uh, we're not believing the promises of God. Well, these verses challenge us with that, especially with King Saul. You you see it here. We won't spend a lot of time on it. But starting in verse eight, you've got this situation. You need to know a couple of chapters earlier. Samuel told him, wait seven days till I show up. And you understand, again, he's sympathetic to Saul. All these people are gathering together against you. All the people that you're leading are jumping into cisterns and (laughs) fleeing across the river. It's causing some pandemonium. Well, nevertheless, Saul's called to, as God's king and the first king to follow God's word that's been revealed to the prophet. So you say, you know, why is Samuel jumping all over him about this? Seems like a sort of minor infraction. I mean, Samuel got there just a few minutes later, but but it's never a sort of minor thing to dismiss the, the word of God. And, and more than that, what Saul is doing is he's revealing once again that he's not relying on the Lord for strength. He's relying on himself. And so it's debilitating for him, just like it can be debilitating for us. Uh, furthermore, there's there's really supposed to be this sort of checks and balances. I won't go into it, but there's supposed to be prophets, priests and kings in the Old Testament. And Saul seems to be taking upon himself the role of the priest when he really needed to just wait. We see this happening in our passage. It's interesting how he justifies himself, too. We're pretty good at that, aren't we? <laughs> at at uh, making excuses for why we do the things we do, even when we're just sort of lacking trust in God. Did you read here what he says? He says in the end of verse 12, he acknowledges that he did this, but, you know, states all the reasons. He doesn't just say, oh, man, I messed up. He said, oh, well, these are the reasons, the excuses for doing it. And he says, so I forced myself. Isn't that weird verbiage? You know, it's kind of like he wants to throw the scent off from himself. There's this other guy called myself, and he made me do it, you know, or he I forced myself to do it. He kind of wants to distance himself from it and then say, well, I had to do it. It's uh, it's kind of humorous when you think about it. Where where is that guy myself? Where did he go? He seems to have left the scene. All of this points uh, to the fact that that uh, we're really invited to have confidence and trust in God. Now, the first thing we might say is, well, if Saul's getting in trouble for kind of taking matters into his own hands, then is is faith and is walking by faith. Is that just letting go and letting God? Is that really what you're saying, that we just sort of just need to sit back, take up a chair and just kind of just ride away and see what what God does? 
does it mean that, you know, in our workplace, there's a coworker that we see that really needs the love of Christ or is struggling or maybe doesn't know Christ. And instead of initiating, maybe inviting them out to lunch or talking to them after a meeting at work about what might be going on with them, we sort of just, well, I'll wait till they come talk to me. I'll just I'll just sit back and let that happen. Uh, does it mean we kind of adopt a passive approach even to the opportunity to give and contribute to the causes of God where we say, OK, we've been, you know, our way we're doing our budget is we've been spending, we've been saving a little bit and we've been giving a teeny tiny bit. And we know God kind of says it should be the other way around. We ought to figure out what we want to give and, and how we want to be generous with what God's given to us. Then we want to save and then we'll you know, adopt a lifestyle with what's left. And, and trust God to to uh, provide that. And, and, and do, do we take that step or, you know, say, well, God, just I hope you just drop a big bunch of money on my lap. Then I'll become a generous person. Right. These are the things that we work through uh, and forgiveness and the issue of forgiveness. I know a lot of us are struggling in various ways with forgiveness. And and again, that we could have this approach. I'll just let go and let God. Maybe God will zap me with forgiveness instead of praying towards it, instead of seeking encouragement from others to forgive, instead of pursuing it. Uh, all of this brings us up to what Jonathan does in verse 6 of chapter 14. And this is kind of where we'll land the plane today. So zoom, zoom, zoom back in here with me. Interesting to see what Jonathan does, isn't it? Because Jonathan kind of goes out secretly here. It's just him and this other guy. So again, it's remarkable because crowds of people are fleeing. And then he's going to go towards the danger essentially by himself with one other person. So so that's amazing. His courage there It's also fascinating. What he says, did you pick up on it when we read the end of verse six it says it may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Sound kind of familiar. Sounds kind of like that verse that's on the front of all our forward by faith things, doesn't it? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. As we look at Jonathan, we see that he's exhibiting faith. He's he's not sure of what God's going to do. He even sets up the scenario to kind of taste test it. But but he's taking a step and he's saying, I want to see if I push on this door, what will happen? Will it open? And he knows that God's with him in it. It's fascinating too, just for sake of encouragement to see, you know, uh, as a journey, as a, a relatively new church like we are. It's a blessing to have other people with us in the journey, too. Just like he's got this armor bearer. You hear these words, the armor bearer? Man, those are powerful. He says, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. I'm with you, heart and soul. What a privilege to have somebody locking arms with him saying, I'm, I'm with you in, in this. So we don't have to be the leader all the time in these things. We can maybe be the follower, but it is an opportunity to walk in, in faith. And, of course, you see the results. He he, uh, you know, he kind of tears things up among the Philistines. So let's just make sure we're seeing all this. Jonathan gets to do some really, really special things because he does take a step in faith, believing who God is. He's able to experience God working through him powerfully. He's able to walk on water, we might say. You think about that illustration of Peter stepping out of the boat. He's able to do it. He, he's humbled even as he does great things. Right? Most of the time, if you get to do something significant, whatever that would be in your definition, it goes to your head real quickly. You start to think, oh, that's wonderful. But when you step out in faith in God, it actually humbles you because you see it's him. It's, it's God that's doing it. And you're sort of amazed that he would even choose to, to use us to, to do his work. He takes a toll on the enemy. 
Right? He causes damage just like we're, that's what we're trying to do in our community. I, we all look nice and dressed up today and our neighbors do and people in our community. But here's the reality. Uh, you know, Satan is at work in our community and we are pushing that back, that darkness. That's part of what we're doing as a church. We are fighting that back as we take steps of faith. And then in, the, in part and parcel with that, we don't read it in our passages a little bit later. I didn't want to read too much, but he inspires other people to follow. The rest of the Israelites get get charged up about it. They're they're excited to go and fight because of what Jonathan has done. So let, let me, I guess, conclude with a couple application points in one story. This ought to be great encouragement for all you folks that we had stand up a few minutes ago that were part of that uh, core group. And there's a number of others here that, you know, jumped on sort of very early on in the days of this uh, church and made a commitment of time and energy and envisioned something that wasn't even uh, there and, and believed that God would bring it about. I hope that you're encouraged today with how God has gone before us in faith. Uh, to those that have uh, made sacrificial gifts of this capital campaign, people that chose to not go on a vacation or to downsize a, a house or designated a, a bonus for, for that or went and worked some extra shifts or whatever it was to be a part of that. I hope you're encouraged that God's working through that step of faith for folks that have been a part of our church again for a week or, or for years. Uh, inviting friends to our church, putting flyers in mailboxes, forwarding a Facebook uh, announcement about something that's going on in our church. You're participating in what God is doing, helping with kids camp, preparing communion each week, teaching the children, serving on the missions committee, uh, facilitating a life group, hosting a life group, bringing food to a life group, going on a mission trip to Peru or Ukraine or Clarkson that we're going to in Georgia coming up to reach some refugees there. Uh, Seeking the Lord in your daily work to live out your job and your occupation to God's glory. Uh, Reaching your kids, little ones, if you've got in your home. Bringing hospitality uh, food. Uh, Seeking out a visitor who comes and visits with us on Sunday morning to recognize they're new and going over and talking to them. Praying for our church week in and week out. These are steps of faith where we're taking the time and energy and resources, whatever God gives us. And seeking to see God use it for his purpose, taking steps of faith in action. I think I shared about, uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago. I can't remember when I was crazy enough to do this, but about my adventure trying to paint the uh, trim, the external exterior trim on my uh, house along the roof line. And, you know, the garage door was relatively simple and the gutters are relatively simple. And and there's this part of the front of our house, the roof, if you're facing it from the front, where the roof's kind of steep. And then there's a dormer, I guess maybe you call it, that comes out of the one of the boys' bedrooms and has some windows in it. And it's got some trimmel on the side. And then it comes down to a little bit more shallow uh, part of the roof, but it's still sloped. Well, you know. You pastor's just ingenious. So I decided at some point last year, I'm trying to get this project done of painting this trim to get out and on there. And nobody else was around. In fact, the boys weren't even around. Patience was gone. She probably would have reprimanded me if she had, if she had seen this. But I took the, the step ladder out onto the roof there. And I, I know I told you all this before, but I'm getting somewhere. And I laid this onto the the more sloped part of the roof and then kind of rested the base of it, the feet on the little shallower part of the roof. And, you know, the first step climbing up because I was trying to reach up on that dormer part and just get a little higher where I couldn't. And it was just me up there. And I, and I reached up and I got a little further and reached a little further. Well, when I got to the top of that ladder, pretty close to it, of course, there was no pressure on the bottom. And whew, 
That thing went on down. I went for a little ride, Chevy Chase, Christmas vacation, all the way, baby. Straight. And then so the ladder goes about halfway off the, the roof. It's kind of hanging halfway off. I grab down, tear the crud out of my fingers, you know, holding on to the shingles on the roof, trying to stop, stop myself, bloodied all over the place and get hardly no, you know, paint actually where I was trying to paint. So my dad's in town. Folks are in town this last week. We're doing some painting. We like to do little projects. I mostly like to have my dad do projects while he's here. But we we go up and uh, and we get the ladder back out. We get the ladder back out, which may be a little crazy, too. We're in the same spot on that roof. And I have my dad sit on the base of that ladder. Just sit there. Just be there. And it was no problem. In fact, I went on the other side, the side that's by the whole edge of the roof where you would fall off. And I, and I had comp, confidence to do it, to reach up there. And I reached all that stuff and painted all of that stuff because somebody was sitting on the end of the ladder and holding it steady for me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to realize that you are a gracious, sovereign and good father who holds our lives, holds the ladder, if you will, of our lives Uh, In your hands and holds it steady for us to climb, to do the things that you would have us to do. Uh, Lord, those may be day to day routine matters of of faith that you call us to and believing you and the places that we're struggling, the uh, challenges and ups and downs of parenting for many in here, uh, struggles with work. So it, it may not be going and conquering some great Uh, army of the Philistines. But, Lord, we trust that in all the things that you're inviting us to do, as uh, you enable us to look more and more, to see more and more how wonderful you are as the pilot of our life and how faithful you are, that you would enable us to trust you, to be used in steps of faith for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.